Tonight's Bible reading is from John um, 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this is so, this so, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I have the, uh, the great privilege of opening John 15 with you. Leon often talks about um, earning your stripes as a preacher. He says that there are certain passages of the Bible that you don't give to the rookie youth group leader because they'll just stuff it up. So John 3.16, don't give that to the rookie. Um, and I feel, I, I feel a, sense of, uh, a sense of weightiness looking at, at the vine and the branches, John 15, uh, because it is one of those passages, I think, that are just so rich and so uh, so full and so memorable um, that I feel especially privileged to be able to look at this part of God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, and I recognize that um, Leon is also on holidays, so maybe that's why I got given it. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to do together, so let's, um, let's ask for the Lord's help as we look at this passage. Father, give us ears to hear, um, hearts to receive, and minds to believe as we look at your word this morning. Amen. So, John 15, uh, it is just so dense with meaning. There's so much stuff going on in there. Actually, as I was reflecting on this this week, I thought, you could, you could do a 10-week sermon series on these 17 verses. Uh, you could have a sermon on prayer. Jesus says, ask whatever you like in my name and it will be given to you. You could have a sermon on how to treat other people, love one another as I have loved you and laid down my life for you. You could have a sermon on Christian obedience, obey me as I have obeyed the Father. You could have a sermon on suffering, my Father prunes the branches. You could have a sermon on judgment, every branch that doesn't bear fruit is thrown into the fire. There's so much going on in this passage that it's hard to kind of look at it and go, okay, 
I've got one talk to give. How am I going to capture this? Uh, so I think those two words that Travis has already mentioned are kind of the heartbeat of this passage, to, be, to remain in Jesus and to bear fruit for the God's glory. So we're actually going to focus on those two words. And the question I'm going to pose is this. How can we live fruitful lives as Christians? How can we live fruitful lives as Christians? I think it's a very important question because if you've been a Christian for more than a couple of hours, you'll know that there's so much frustration in trying to bear fruit for Jesus. Trying to be a godly person, trying to live a holy life in this world is sometimes just devastating because you, you end up doing the things that you don't want to do. You find yourselves giving in to sins that, are just, that just devastate you. How can we live fruitful lives as Christians? Uh, often we describe our spiritual lives as dry or barren, or maybe we feel like there hasn't been enough rain, or we feel like we're kind of out of season. But the encouragement of this text is that we should be bearing fruit. So how do we live fruitful lives as Christians? The first thing I want to say to you about that is, firstly, we, we can't do it alone. Look at verse 1 of what Jesus says here. He says, He's talking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine. Now, to say that he is the true vine is a comparative statement. And so you have to realize that Jesus isn't speaking in a vacuum here. He's not just speaking as if there's no history to that idea of being a vine. Because the whole Bible, actually, from a very, very long time ago, has been speaking about a vine. Jesus is comparing himself to another vine. We find in the Old Testament that Israel is the vine of God. There's this idea that goes all throughout the Old Testament that God brought Israel out of Egypt where they were in slavery and he brought them through the wilderness and he planted them in the promised land to be a vine that bears fruit for his glory. That's the way the vine is described in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5 puts it this way, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. They are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, and he heard cries of distress. See, this is the problem with this vine, is that God planted them in the promised land to bear fruit for his name, to make his character known. He wanted righteousness, and he wanted justice. Instead, he got bloodshed, and he got cries of distress. Israel were not the vine he wanted them to, that God wanted them to be. Isaiah 5 puts it this way. It says, He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Verse 4, he says, What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So Israel was planted, and they were the vine that was meant to bear good fruit for God's name, and they only bore bad fruit. And if you trace through the history of Israel, you start to see this pattern emerging very, very strongly. They attempt to do good and they fail. So they enter the promised land and Moses says, obey the Lord. You know, the whole book of Deuteronomy is just obey, obey, obey. And they enter the promised land and you read through Joshua and, and there's maybe a little bit of obedience and then disobedience. And they just, they, they're up and they're good and then they crash to the ground again. And then you go to Judges and you have the same cycle of obedience and disobedience happening. They try to do good and then they disobey. They try to do good and then they disobey. 
You go to the kings and you see the same thing again. Some of the kings are good, but most of them are bad. And even the ones that are good are still pretty bad. They do some terrible things. And by the time you get to the prophets, you start to see a pattern. And the prophets call it out. And they say, you, Israel, are bad fruit. That's what we just read in Isaiah. Jeremiah puts it so starkly. This, this image has been stuck in my mind all year. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. The verdict of Jeremiah is that as, as likely as it is for a leopard to change its spots, is it for Israel to do good? They're just so accustomed to doing evil that it's just not going to happen. It's like a leopard changing its spots. It's, such, it's become idiomatic for us to say things like that. It's not going to happen. And I find what's interesting about this is we looked at Israel's story of, of attempt, attempt, attempting um, to be fruitful and failing, and attempting to be fruitful and failing. And, and what resonates with us is that that's what our lives can feel like, isn't it? That we try to, to, to live God's way. You know, we do our own kind of self-transformation project, DIY, but it crashes to the ground. And so then we, we build up the courage and we build up the confidence and we go, all right, I'm going to have another go at this. But then we crash to the ground. I think we look at the story of Israel and we learn about ourselves that we can't do this either. We actually can't be the good vine. How likely is it for a leopard to change its spots? We are accustomed to doing evil. And even when we do maybe have a little bit of success in getting rid of sin in our lives or, or, or producing some kind of fruit, we find ourselves just, just shuffling the sin around. And so maybe we, we defeat one sin, but then we just turn it into the sin of pride where we feel good about ourselves because we defeated that sin. So we just shuffle sin around. And that's what makes Israel the bad vine, is that they just shuffled things around. They never actually were able to produce good fruit for God's name. But that's what makes Jesus the good vine, the true vine, is that he was able to be obedient to the Father, and he was consistently obedient to the Father. As we read through John's Gospel, he makes this point again and again and again. I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only say what my Father tells me to say. I've been completely obedient to the Father. That's Jesus' role. He serves the Father diligently, never stepping one foot out of line. And because Jesus did that, he is the true vine. He is what Israel could never manage to be. He's the only one who has ever lived a righteous and holy life. He's the only one who has ever done it. He was the first to do it. Uh, back in 1850, there started to be this, uh, there was this challenge set before people to see who could run a four-minute mile. 1850, they started to record people attempting to run the four-minute mile. And it, it didn't happen, not in the 1800s at all. And then we got into the 1900s, and it wasn't until 1954 that a man finally ran the four-minute mile. He ran it in three minutes and 59 seconds, 0.4 milliseconds. Four-minute mile meaning a mile in four minutes. Does anyone know who that man was? Oh, wow, so many of you. That's fantastic. See, yeah, that's right. That's right. All the young people are like, what are you talking about? What is a mile? <laughs> John? Roger Bannister, that's right. His name was Roger Bannister. He was a, uh, a young man. He, he, he broke the four-minute mile and was the first person to ever do it. And he did it with minimal training, 
while he was practicing as a junior doctor. So he's a pretty impressive guy. His record was 3 minutes and 59 seconds, 0.4 milliseconds. And it lasted a grand total of 46 days before it was broken again. But the thing about Roger Bannister is that he was the first. He was the first person who ever ran a mile in less than four minutes, or at least recorded. And that's what we're seeing about Jesus, is that he is the first person to live a fruitful life. He's the only person who's ever lived a fruitful life. That is why he calls himself the true vine. Now, you might be saying at this point, right, Jesus lived a fruitful life, but what does this have to do with my own fruitfulness? But the meaning of this, what John 15 is about, is the fact that Jesus lived a fruitful life is the reason that we as Christians can be fruitful. Jesus is saying that the only way you can be fruitful is if you remain in the vine, the true vine, the living vine, the fruit-giving vine. And if we remain in the fruit-giving vine, then we can be fruitful ourselves. Have a look at verse 5 in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the only way we can live a fruitful life is it, live a fruitful life is by being connected to Jesus. Now this is a concept that I think is a little bit abstract for us to get our heads around. Jesus in us, us in him. It's a bit weird. The theologians they call it mutual indwelling. Uh, but this is what Jesus has been talking about. If we go back to chapter 14, Jesus says, "I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you." A couple of verses later, he says, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's mutual indwelling. Uh, Verse 23 or 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home with them. If you are a Christian, you dwell in Christ, and Christ dwells in you, as well as the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is the mutual indwelling of the, of the New Testament. It's actually, it, uh, it's, it's a strange concept to get your head around, uh, but this is what Jesus is saying in the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, in, I don't know what you think of when you think of the way that Christians are described in the Bible, but the most common description for a Christian in the Bible happens 164 times in the New Testament, is that a Christian is a person who is in Christ. That's what a Christian is. They are in Christ. And so it's the most common way that it's taught, that Christians are described in the Bible. They're rarely called Christians. They're rarely called followers of Christ. They're rarely called disciples even. They are called people who are in Christ. Because we are in Him if we are believers of Him. Jesus says in verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is the heartbeat of what Jesus is saying. If you want to live a fruitful life, remain in me. Remain in me. Stay attached to the vine. I think the image in itself is is so helpful. Like a vine produces branches and those branches produce fruit. If you cut the branch off from the vine... It will not produce fruit anymore. I I illustrated this at 9 o'clock by talking about a lemon tree. And I'm realizing now you don't have to illustrate it. Jesus is already giving you such a vivid image. Cut the branch off and it will not produce fruit. That's just the way that it is. 
Now, it's it, like like Travis said before. As long as the natural produce of a vine that's connected to the well, a branch that's connected to the vine is fruit. It's natural. It will happen. That is what always happens. Now, that's not to say that it will not be difficult at times to produce fruit. We're reminded that the Father prunes the branches so that they can be even more fruitful. Have a look at verse 2. Well, verse 1 and 2. It says, I'm the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, pruning would be a, pain, a painful process if you were the branch. You know, it's like having a part of you cut off. But we, what I think Jesus is saying here is that we endure pain and, dif- and difficulty and suffering and trial as God deals with our deep-seated sinful nature. As God starts to, to cut some of that terrible sin in our life out, it's painful for us. But God does it in order to make you more fruitful. Now, I realize that enduring pain and trial and suffering is not a, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like something that's appealing. So you might, you might think to yourself, well, rather than enduring that, I might just choose the pain-free option, if that's okay. You know, you might say to yourself, well, I'll take the path of least resistance in my following Jesus. But I want to show you that Jesus, when he says this, there is no pain-free option. Because verse 2, like it says, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And so there's just two options. Either you're a branch that bears no fruit, and later he tells us that that means that you'll wither and then chucked into the fire, or you bear fruit and you will be pruned so that you can bear more fruit. There is no pain-free option. You either, you either bear fruit and you'll be pruned, or you don't bear fruit and you'll be chucked into the fire. They're the two options that we have. So living as a Christian isn't going to be this wonderful experience of never enduring trial or pain or suffering. Living as a Christian means that the Father will prune you. But Hebrews 12 tells us that he prunes, he disciplines us because he loves us. We're like his children who he's disciplining. And by disciplining us, by, by helping us, by making us experience these things, we bear more fruit for his glory. So I want you to ask yourself a question. What difficult or painful trial are you going through at the moment? Everyone will have something. Some of us will have great things that we're enduring. Others will have smaller things. But everyone will have some kind of trial or suffering or pain that they're enduring at the moment. And I want you to think to yourself, this is an important question to ask. How is God producing fruit for his name through that trial? How is he honing your godliness honing your Christ-likeness through that thing you're enduring. Because recognizing that might help you to actually endure. It might help you to go through, to push on. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that the only reason that we have suffering and train and trials in our life is so that God can just produce fruit in us. That is not the only reason that those things happen. But I am saying that when those things happen, God will seize that opportunity to produce fruit in Christians. He will do that. Every time you face a trial, James says, consider it joy every time you face a trial. So remaining in the vine produces fruit in our lives. It's the natural byproduct if we remain in the vine. But that leads to an obvious question, right? What is remaining? If we're meant to remain in Jesus to be fruitful, then what 
what is remaining? How do we remain? We're not literally in Christ. Well, I guess you could say that we are, but physically we're not. Um, so what is remaining? And I think Jesus actually helps us to see what remaining is if we have a closer look at this passage. And I think this is a really important question to ask because I think remaining is actually, it goes against our natural instincts. At least for me, I, I think that I, my, my habit is to be into something for a little while and then um, to just be into it for a little while and then eventually to move on to something else. And then I'm into that for a little while and then I move on to something else. And I'm into that for a little while and then I move on to something else. I think naturally we progress. Naturally we move on. But the, te- the, the challenge here is that we must remain. When the pressure is to move on, Jesus says, please remain. Stay with me. So how do we remain? I think Jesus gives us a few hints. Firstly, uh, he says that his word should remain in us. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, leaving aside the second half of, the second half of that verse just for now, this is, a, this is a reminder to us that if we are going to remain in Jesus, his word must remain in us. His word must remain in us. Lastly, uh, over the last couple of weeks, Leon has showed us that the Holy Spirit helps you to have the word of God remain in you. He is the Spirit is the Spirit of truth who calls to mind the words of Jesus in your life. So, so if you're going to live a spirit-filled life, it, it will mean that you will be great at memory verses. If you're going to live a spirit-filled life, it will mean that you will pour over the Bible and love the words of Jesus. A spirit-filled life is a life that loves to read the Bible. Jesus isn't coming up with this idea out of nowhere. He's actually picking up a theme from Psalm 1. Psalm 1, remember the introduction to the whole Psalter, the whole book of the Psalms. In the Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. And then he picks up on this language of fruitfulness. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You will be fruitful if the word of the Lord is what you meditate on day or night. says it in the psalm. Jesus is saying it here. And so I have to ask you, what is your Bible meditation like? How much time do you spend meditating, turning over, chewing on, just digesting the word of God? Just having it as a present part of your life always. A couple of months ago, one of my Bible college lecturers said to me that he's, um, his son was moving to the United States and his son said to him, Dad, what should I do? What Christian habit should I have every day? And my lecturer said, if you've got five minutes in your day, read the Bible for a minute and then spend four minutes reflecting on what you read. That's what meditating is. It's not just reading and going, I understand, I comprehend, I get it. Meditating is reflecting on what you've read. I've, spent, I've had the privilege of spending the whole week meditating on the vine and the branches. It is so rich. If you want a place to start, start with this. If you've only got five minutes in your day, and I know that you've got more than that, but if you've only got five minutes in your day, read for a minute and reflect for four minutes. We should be meditating on God's word. Let it seep into you. So that's the first way that we can remain. Second thing that we can do to remain is that we can keep Jesus' commands. Have a look at verse 10. He says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now this is really interesting because Jesus is saying that keeping His commands is not just the fruit of remaining in Him, it's actually also what gets you to remain in Him. It's the way into remaining, but it's also the fruit of remaining. It's, it's, it's how you are. It's the input and then it's the output. Keeping his commands is your way into, uh, I couldn't think of an analogy, so I kind of, the one that I thought of is kind of like riding a pushback. You know, if you're, if you're sitting on a pushback that's stationary and you've got your legs on the pedals, it's very hard to stay upright. But if you're already pedaling, you're already moving, the staying upright part happens. It just happens. And that's kind of what it's like when we keep Jesus' commands. It's, it's the way into remaining in Jesus, but it's also the fruit of remaining in Jesus. It's a circular thing that happens, which I think is really helpful to remember because if you are not walking in the ways of Jesus, it's actually going to perpetuate more disobedience. But if you are obedient, it perpetuates more obedience. Obedience begets obedience. Now, I think we, we, we don't often talk about this a lot because we're a bit worried that people might think that we're saying your works is what saves you. You know, you have to work your way into God's love. But I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that your obedience will beget more obedience. The obedience is still motivated by the love that God already has for you. But when you walk in the ways of Jesus, it, it will encourage you to continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. And I think that the Lord will point that, he's pointing that out to us in the vine and the branches analogy. If you want to remain in Jesus, you have to keep his commands. And the last thing that Jesus encouraged us to do is if we want to remain in Jesus, we should reflect on his love for us. Have a look at verse 12. He says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's incredible. Like Jesus is saying, we are friends of God. Friends, chums, mates, whatever, you, whatever colloquial term you want to chuck it. We're friends with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And he wants us to reflect on his love. Have a look at the way that verse started. My command is this, love each other, how? As I have loved you. So we reflect on the love that Jesus has for us. And the way that we remain in him is that we reflect on that and we love others that way. Reflecting on the love that Jesus has for us. That when he stood before When he stood innocently before the crowd and they yelled, crucify him, crucify him, he remained obedient to the Father. And he went to the cross, he endured the scorn, he endured the pain, and he was crucified for our sake so that we, through him, could have right relationship with the Father. We remain in Jesus when we reflect on the love that Jesus has for us. So we started this morning by talking about how we can live fruitful lives. A fruitful life is lived by remaining in Jesus. And we remain in Jesus by keeping his words, by keeping his commands, and by reflecting on his love. As we sing, let's think about these things.